Watcher of the Damned, Transmutation, Texas, by R.H. Snow. Episode 8, this week's episode, The Devil Man. It took an hour and a half to drag the Devil Man 400 feet uphill, but I did it. The moon made a milky light in the sky, helping to light the porch into the metal building next to the research station. Lightning was gathering to the west, and it was good to get out of the open. The large concrete service porch overlooking the lake was ground level and enclosed on with metal fencing above a half wall and two gates on either end of the porch and surrounded by a thicket of low and leafy persimmon trees and wild plum bushes. The enclosed porch served as a repository for all the heavy things she had recently scavenged but could not carry. A permanently jammed garage door led to a service bay somewhere beyond. She couldn't budget, and she didn't want to go in the huge dark building by herself anyway. Rose hauled the devil man to a safe distance past the gate and away from the iron barred grid that comprised the fencing. Having made her destination, she took the end of the chain that was coiled between his legs on the coat, uncoiled it, and chained shut the gate with the devil man's own padlock and chain. He was now chained to the gate. Rose allowed that she should find a better solution. He's secured, we're secured. The service porch was hidden from view of the main approach, encircled with small trees and easily defended. The half walls kept out most of the wind and rain, allowing adequate ventilation for small cooking fires. The thicket hid it from prying eyes, it felt good to be somewhere safe. She leaned against the wall and closed her eyes. Her head hurt horribly where the great brute had pegged her with that rock, and she was very happy to have followed protocol and worn her helmet that day. But enough of that, it's time to work. She retrieved a flint striker from her small backpack and lit a small fire in the old metal barrel she had pulled out of the research station's garage last week. Using dry wood from her pile in the corner, she puffed at the white smoke for a few minutes before it finally lit up. It would produce much needed heat when the storm cooled things down. Out of the front pouch of the backpack, she also pulled a discolored raggedy towel, shears, paracord, and rags. She was glad that she had dropped off the cruel devil's heavy duffel bag on the service porch. The supplies would come in handy. She glanced at the devil man facing up on her coat. He was covered in vomit, blood, and urine, and was unquestionably very sick. She wondered what had happened to him. He seemed fine earlier. Time to fall back on training. Unzipping the duffel, 
She found the medical supplies and cruel devil's flask. She opened it and was shocked at the sharp slap of the liquor's bouquet. She laughed. Why, this truly is the devil's brew. The church fathers would disapprove. It was not for the children of the church to drink alcohol. But then again, these beings were devils, and she had need of the alcohol now, so it would all be sanctified in the end anyway. She grasped the side of her trench coat turned stretcher and tried to roll the big devil off. Arms aching and unable to get leverage on the relatively smooth concrete floor, she stopped after a few minutes to assess the physics of the situation. She grabbed the paracord, tied a bowline knot in the end, then threaded the loop back through the bars of the enclosure. Uncoiling the cord, she approached the devil man. I'm sorry, but I must cut these nasty clothes off of you. Unresponsive and still shivering, he was in no condition to complain. The wind was picking up outside, and leaves were now fluttering down from the trees in the darkness outside the firelit porch. It was warming nicely on the porch, but she was still concerned about him catching a chill while disrobed. Rose tried to make herself less nervous. She had only done this in training, and only on a willing, clean volunteer at that. She was glad they were all required to take the course. She mustered a smile and chatted away gaily more for herself than anyone else. Do not worry, I shall protect your dignity. She patted his arm reassuringly, then pulled up the front of her balaclava over her nose and mouth to filter out some of the smell. It didn't help. First, an airway assessment. She grabbed his heavy, knotted jaw then stroked his cheek to get him to open his mouth a little. His cheek felt dry and hot. The jaw was still clenching, and she feared getting bitten. He had the typical fang-like canines of male primates and impressive ivory-colored teeth, and his mouth looked relatively clear with no signs of aspiration. She unscrewed the top of his canteen to pour forth a trickle of water down his throat. His parched tongue flicked feebly back and forth, barely visible. Looking closely in the firelight, she saw it was thickened, wrinkled like a prune, and far more rigid than it should be. In a flash of revelation, she understood. He cannot talk. His poor tongue. What happened to it? Shamed by her own obtuseness at his earlier attempts to communicate, she rinsed her gloved hands in a nearby bucket and moved down to the next task. Pulse, radial, 120 beats per minute. Breathing, 30 breaths per minute. That's too high. The belt came off first. A patinaed brown tooled leather. It had a lovely western buckle with tarnished silver scrollwork and a golden rose. She unhooked it and slid it out of his belt loops. The holster loop for the sledge slid off. 
She threaded it back onto the belt and laid it all aside. Rose grasped the shears, carefully cutting up the side of one large leg of his faded jeans, then the other. The cloth was thick, but the shears did the job. She then untucked his shirt and cut up both sides of it as well. She would wait to remove boots and the handle padlock until after he was in position. She could use them as handles. Peeling back the filthy shirt, Rose frowned to see the padlock and chain around his neck. She gently uncovered his muscular torso, slashed and still oozing blood from multiple shallow lacerations. She cut the rest of the shirt away with her trauma shears, then blinked in surprise. Why does the devil have an IV port? It was taped into place on his forearm, just like the medics would do for project patients in Tesoro. Have the devil done experiments on him too? Shuddering at the memory of her last experience with an IV, she wondered if the devil man hated them as much as she did. This is most curious. She washed it with a little water, then retaped it and moved on. Time for a genetic reading. It was part of training to check all patients for genetic markers with the We Speaks program, so treatment could be customized. When she first observed the village of the Devil Men, she surmised that they were members of the primate family and possibly come from some sort of mutant great apes. At least that was her pet theory, until she checked Cruel Devil and found he carried the sign of the Maker's Mark. How could they possibly have the code? She had been stunned to find it in him. It marked him as a sanctified human. Clearly, this had to be an anomaly. She pressed the recessed button of the We Speaks and turned on the heads-up display. Pressing her gloved left hand to the bare flesh of his chest, she waited five seconds until the reader displayed the genetic test result. We Speaks genetic reader, version 3.1, maker's mark present, RS 8808080880880AG. Present? That can't be right. There has to be something wrong with the reader. But he doesn't have any other signs. He did look almost human in the flickering light. The rough patches of his skin softened in its shadows, and the lurid colors muted. Her reverie was interrupted by the stench of his day's struggles, and she moved on to removing his jeans. This might be more difficult. The smell was as awful as she had imagined. She moved quickly, stripping away the stinking caked jeans from his rough skin, gagging only once on the palpable smell. Rose was careful not to let her eyes linger where they mustn't. 
That was very challenging as everything was visible in the firelight. Thunder rolled in the distance and she felt uncomfortably aware of his vulnerability, his nakedness, his maleness. How would he have fared in the storm chained to a tree? It was odd to think of a naked man thing as vulnerable. The church fathers had never seemed vulnerable when they were naked. She pondered this and remembered her time with men. Without thinking, she closed her eyes and leaned slightly forward from her kneeling to assume the first sacred position. Hearing herself humming, she stopped with a shock. Her visceral, subconscious response to this giant, naked man-thing bothered her. But she supposed it went back to all those years of intensive training. She just wasn't really expecting the devil-man to look so human. Why, the devil-man looks just like the church father's only much larger. A brilliant bolt of lightning crackled, then a deep, booming thunderclap made her jump. At the sudden startle of thunder, a familiar weakness took hold of her. She sat quietly until it passed, wondering at the fearful being beside her. In the light of the storm, the devil man's flaws and grotesque mutations suddenly stood out in stark relief, shadows thrown wildly against the light. The devil man might not look so vulnerable if he were naked and not sick. Rose blanched, then laid a clean cloth over his expansive genitalia and kept working. Even in the middle of that absolutely wretched mess, the similarity of devils to men was impossible to ignore. Devils, devils and, and men, men are, are the, the same. same. She folded all the layers of sticky clothing back, away from his injured skin, then grabbed Barnaby's bucket of purified drinking water. She remembered with a pang that Barnaby wouldn't be needing it anymore. Lifting it, she poured slowly, starting from the devil man's head and moving all the way down to his feet, letting the water wash away the day. It was still not enough, and she dipped another precious gallon of clean water from her five-gallon reserve bucket. Repeating the process finally brought the desired result. Taking the liquor flask in hand, she sparingly poured the stinging alcohol onto the devil man's wounds. He shivered again and moaned cavernously. With a cedar branch broom she had crafted the day before, she swept away the fouled water from around the devil and prepared to flip him. Taking the paracord in hand, she looped the bowline around his left arm. Then, seizing the other end, 
she pulled on the cord, using the bars of the porch enclosure as a crude pulley and winch system. She hoisted little by little until his shoulder lifted, then his back until he was halfway rolled over. Tying off the paracord around the corner post, she could now grab his padlocked foot and pull the rest of the way over. The devil man rolled with a soft thud, bellied down on the wet concrete. Working with haste, Rose tucked the rolled-up towel under his cheek and made sure his head was properly positioned to prevent aspiration. She then proceeded to wash him down with a bucket of water and assessed his backside. Nasty gashes raked his back, and they already appeared inflamed. She poured water over the gashes again, then applied the alcohol to his wounds. The devil man moaned in pain again. She cleaned the floor again, sweeping away detritus and flicking the fouled coat into a far corner. It would need to be washed tomorrow. The clothes went into the fire, and they burned with an ugly hiss. Rose reached into the duffel bag and found another towel and a serviceable woven blanket. Drying his broad, muscular back and hips gently with the towel, she tried to be careful of his wounds, but he still grimaced in pain. No bones seemed to be broken, no major wounds or bleeding, but he seemed to be in an awful distress. Infection could be the diagnosis, but there was more in play. Some kind of poison gripped him, body and soul. Covering him with a blanket and another towel, it was time to check his hands and feet. His hands were large and calloused, sound other than what appeared to be a small scabbed-over ulceration on the underside of his left ring finger. Moving down to the feet, she decided the chains must come off, and she fumbled with cruel devil's keys to try to find the key to unshackle his ankle. The third key fit into the lock, and the shackle swung open with a rusty creak. She removed his boots and thick hand-knitted socks. Rose noted the calloused indentation where the shackle had rubbed him. How long has he been forced to bear these chains for his sands? Why? His padlocked neck chain bothered her. It was chained tightly enough so it could not be slipped over his massive head, with at least two feet of extra chain dangling below the padlock. Rose's eyes flashed in the darkness. He shan't ever be chained again. She frowned, and a little wrinkle appeared between her eyes. Whoever would chain him like this, like a beast, should be punished. She tried to free him from this chain, but she could not find the key, and the lock seemed to be jammed. It would be up to someone else to free him. Kneeling, she took a towel and washed his feet. 
out in the shadowy wildlands, a coyote howled. Thunder rumbled, nearer this time. Another flash of lightning danced across lowering clouds. The devil man spasmed and wretched again. Rose sighed. Grabbing another clean rag, she started to clean up the mess. It is going to be one of those nights. Snow. Thank you for listening to my post-apocalyptic sci-fi western series, Watcher of the Damned, Transmutation Texas, Episode 8, The The Devil Devil Man. Man. Be sure to tune in next time at WatcherOfTheDamned.com for even more epic adventures in post-apocalyptic Texas. Next episode, The The Reckoning. Reckoning.